Welcome to everybody. Glad you're here today. We've worked our way through uh, to the sixth commandment today, and it's one that um, is kind of obvious. Um, one would <laughs> presume it's uncontroversial. Uh, we're going to dispel that notion uh, rather quickly. Uh, so let's just talk about it. In the Hebrew language, it's two words. It's two words. It is lo rashach. Uh, you say it with me, lo rashach. Yeah, say it like that in Hebrew. In English, it translates to you must not murder. Now, uh, for most of us, I was talking to a guy outside a little while ago, and he said, oh, I've got this one down. And most of us don't, you know, really uh, even contemplate murder unless we're dropping our kid off uh, at the school uh, drop-off line. That uh, kind of gets us going sometimes. Or uh, if you are, <laughs> if your kid's participating in a ball game and the referee makes a bad call, you know, maybe you, you think about it there. I, I would say a church our size probably doesn't have more than two or three uh, professional hitmen, so uh, there's not a lot of, uh, of this that goes on, we think. And so... Uh, uh, this one should be relatively um, uncontroversial, <laughs> however, um, I'm going to try to stir it up a little bit, and uh, not really, I'm not really trying. It's just, uh, there are nuances to this that we probably need to discuss, and so let's do that. Now, the guy who was given the Ten Commandments, the guy named Moses, um, I'm assuming, and I don't, there's not scriptural about this, so I'm just kind of making some stuff up a little bit, but I think that when Moses got the Ten Commandments, when he's on Mount Sinai, uh, I would suspect he read them over before he brought them down. I mean, that's a fair assumption, I think. And he would have gotten to this one, and I believe there would have been a pang of guilt because you shall not murder is something that Moses had done. He'd actually been... A murderer. If you'll recall, now remember, Moses was Jewish, was a Hebrew, and yet he was adopted. He was put in a basket, and Pharaoh's daughter found him in the Nile, and she adopts him. And so he's raised by the Egyptians, but his blood is Hebrew. And so we find this in Exodus 2. In the course of time, Moses grew up, and then he went to see his own people, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, and watched them suffering under forced labor. He saw a Hebrew, one of his own people, being beaten by an Egyptian. And he looked all around, and when he didn't see anyone, he beat the Egyptian to death and hid his body in the sand. And this command is one that um, most everybody seems to agree on. In fact, most cultures have a rule against murdering someone. So today we're going to do a couple of things. Let's talk about what this commandment doesn't prohibit. Let's talk about what this commandment does prohibit. And then at the end, let's talk about how we live out this commandment. Because Jesus changes everything. And so at the end, we're going to look at how Jesus deals with this commandment. And it's different than uh, kind of how other people had up until Jesus' time. Now, there's a huge difference between murder and killing. Uh, Thou shalt not kill is kind of how it was translated in the, uh, the King James, but really the better word is murder. In fact, the Hebrew language had eight different words. You understand languages have different words for different things. And so uh, eight different uh, words for uh, to kill or to murder someone. And so God chose this particular word because it literally means the intentional, unjust, predetermined taking of another person's life. It is a serious, serious thing that we're dealing with today. So, 
with that understanding, let's kind of dive into what it doesn't uh, deal with, what this commandment isn't against. First, and, and uh, of, of about four things, it's not against self-defense or the defense of property. And let me show you what it says in Exodus 22. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. So you understand the context here. Uh, I'm asleep in my home. It's dark. Somebody comes in, and then I have to defend my property. And in the defense of my property or the defense of my family, I might strike that person and kill them. Then I'm not guilty. However, there is a caveat to this. I think it's really interesting. Even long ago, when we don't have police forces and military forces and that sort of thing, uh, but, there's a but to this uh, law, if it happens after sunrise, then the person who sheds blood is guilty of bloodshed. Now, here's the notion around this. If you break into my home and it is dark and I can't see who you are, I might strike you and kill you and then I am uh, not guilty of murder. However... If it's already sunlight, if the sun has already risen, I can see your face. I can tell who you are. And so I can let you go and go after you later and accuse you of theft or whatever. And, and therefore I can make some restitution in a different way. Uh, what he's saying here is, I think, uh, capital punishment or, or lethal uh, force should only be used as a last resort. If, you can, if there's another way, you should choose another way. Because let me bottom line this whole commandment for you. Life is really precious. It's given by God, and it should be treated as such. It's precious, and it should be treated as such. We're going to see that throughout this whole, um, this whole lesson today. Uh, secondly, uh, this commandment isn't against war. Now, this is an issue uh, with different opinions. People have different opinions about it. But nowhere in the Old Testament or New Testament, in fact, in the Old Testament, the God who said, Thou shalt not murder, also sent his people into war. And then we have several instances in the New Testament where people who were military folks encounter Jesus or encounter the gospel, and yet they are not told to stop being military folks. There's a guy named John. He baptized people. He had a nickname called John the Baptist. It's not that he attended a Baptist church. Uh, he was the baptizer, John the baptizer. And so he baptizes people, and he's baptizing lots of people. And one time he's baptizing some folks, and there are prostitutes being baptized, and he said, don't, you know, don't do that anymore. And then look at what it says here. Then some soldiers asked John the Baptist, and what about us? What should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What he doesn't say is stop being a soldier. Jesus encountered a centurion one time. A centurion is someone who was a commander of a hundred military people under him. He was like a, you know, a, some kind of a commander of troops beneath him. And Jesus didn't say to him, you shouldn't be uh, in the military. There was a guy in Acts named Cornelius, and it says that he was a soldier, and it also called him a God-fearer. And so... Uh, there doesn't seem to be in Scripture any place where it, you couldn't line up as being a soldier, but also a follower of God. Now, uh, I pastored a church in Clovis, New Mexico. There was an Air Force base there, Cannon Air Force Base. And in my church there, we had several military folks, both men and women, who were in the Air Force. 
uh, to a, a man or a woman. I never talked to any of them who were excited about the prospect of going to war. But to a man or a woman, I never met any of them who weren't willing to defend the country with lethal force if they needed to. That was, they felt like a calling on their lives. Another thing this doesn't prohibit is capital punishment. Let me set up this text before I read it to you. Now, Jesus, and we're going to talk about Easter, it's kind of, you know, the resurrection has to, the resurrection happens because Jesus was, was executed. And he was executed because somebody said he could be executed. The guy's name is Pilate. And so Pilate is in this dilemma. He encounters Jesus, they have a conversation, and in the conversation, it's really odd, uh, Pilate, who is the judge, says to the accused, whose name is Jesus, what did you do? Which usually the prosecutor is the one that says, this is what you do. Uh, or, this is what he did. And so he says to Jesus, what did you do? And, and Jesus, they have this interesting conversation, and Pilate says, don't you realize I can take your life or not? And Jesus' response is, you'd have no power if it were not given to you from above. Yes, you have the power to take my life, but it's because God gave it to you. You are in authority, and as an authority, you have this power. In Romans, uh, it says the government is God's servant to do good, but if you do wrong, if you, an uh, individual person, do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And so, um, capital punishment is not prohibited uh, in Scripture, as far as I can tell. One more. These are the hard ones, and then we'll talk about it. Then it gets really harder after that, so it's great. Hunting is not prohibited in Scripture. All you hunters, uh, good on you, way to go. Uh, if you want to be a, a vegetarian, it's all good, uh, but it's not uh, commanded in Scripture. Look what it says. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, all the fish in the sea, I have given them all to you for food. So uh, live it up, you know, have fun, uh, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. And so um, there's a difference between killing human life and killing uh, animals for food. Not for sport, particularly, I wouldn't think that would be godly, but certainly for food. Uh, I heard about a guy, he harvested a deer. Uh, if it was in Kentucky, he probably found it on the side of the road. Uh, but anyway, uh, he harvested a deer. He took it to the uh, processing plant. He got it back. They served it for dinner one night. But the kids didn't know what kind of meat it was. And so he and his wife had this talk, and they said, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we play a game with the kids, and let's see if they can figure it out. <laughs> so evidently, they ate roadkill often. Uh, so uh, he, he uh, says, all right, kids, try to guess. And they were like, well, can, Daddy, can you give us a clue? He's like, okay, well, I'll give you a clue. Um, it's what mommy calls me sometimes. And the little girl's eyes got big and she whispered to her brother, don't eat it, it's a lazy moron. Uh, so, uh, uh, so a little, a little comic relief. All right, let's go, let's go forward. The, the reason God needed this commandment given to the Hebrews is because the Hebrews had been slaves enslaved for 400 years. The value of a slave's life was in what they could produce. This is how the Hebrews thought because that's all they'd ever known. When you are generation after generation after generation after generation slave, all you know is 
My life is only valuable as long as I produce. And God is saying that is simply not true. And you have to begin thinking differently. you got to think differently. And so to a people who all they've known is slavery, now God is saying, look, every life is valuable. The sixth commandment is God calling people to live differently, to think differently, to act in a different way with new information. What they'd experienced is my life is invaluable. What God is saying through this commandment is that's not true. That is a lie. What you need to know is the truth, and the truth is every life is valuable. So, what is this commandment when it says you must not murder? What is it talking about? If it's not talking about the things that we just mentioned, what does it talk about? Well, the first thing is this. Let's make sure we understand something. It is certainly against homicide. Homicide is the taking of an innocent person's life. Let me give you a couple statistics because these are shocking to me. Last year in the United States, there were nearly 21,500 murders. Over 30%, it was up 30% from the year before. The pandemic brought people together and made people stay together where you know, we were confined to movement and that sort of thing. And for right or wrong, uh, that really caused lots of conflict and it has played out in the increase in murder. It's really kind of sad. L- listen to another stat. The American, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics uh, claim that children at age 18 will have seen 16,000 simulated murders and some 200,000 acts of violence on television and in video games. 200,000 acts by the time they're 18. We begin, if we're not careful, so the Bible grounds us, right? It pulls us back. If all we watch are violent movies and we play violent video games and life is cheapened, it's as if... Life is treated like the, the bag you got your burger in. You wad it up and you throw it away. It is disposable. And so in this commandment, God is saying, no, 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 no. 98% of pediatricians in one survey uh, expressed a personal belief that media violence affects children's aggression. What's really interesting to me, the very first murder that you ever see in Scripture is found early in Genesis. You have Adam and Eve, they have sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, his brother. He murders his brother. It happened really early on. In in Genesis 4, a guy kind of brags about somebody he killed. Lamech said to his wives, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. There is... Some intent to how he expresses this. I killed a man. He wasn't just a man. He was a young man. That means Lamech is an old man. An old man want to brag about something. And so he's bragging to his wives that he was man enough to to defend himself and to kill a young man. Even back in the day, this is thousands of years ago, there was disregard for life. And so this commandment is, hey, life is very, very precious. Let me give you another one. This is also a commandment against suicide. Time out just for a second. Suicide is a sin, but it is not an unforgivable sin. So just understand that. There is nothing 
like um, walking with a family through uh, the loss of life when it, is, when it is because of suicide. I've done it a few times. There are these inevitable questions. You as a dad or a mom or a, a brother or sister, you, you, you have these questions. Could I have done something? Could I have said something? Should I have done something? What could I have done? What could I have said? It, it, is, it is brutal for the family. People will say, well, it's my life. I can do with it what I wish. But the Bible says you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Suicide is self-murder. And last year in America, 1.2 million people attempted suicide. And ten times that many thought about it. Again, the pandemic has caused people to be isolated. And it has caused such depression with folks. In Scripture, there are five instances where it, it talks about people who committed suicide. None of them are spoken of positively. All of them are in the context of shame and defeat. There are a couple of guys who, who asked God to end their lives. A guy named Job, a guy named Jonah. Both times God is like, that's not what I'm going to do. Life, we have to understand, is a gift from God, given by God. Look at what it says in, in Job. The length of a man's life is decided beforehand. The number of months he will live, you, God, have settled it. You, God, have settled it. Many people have dark days, live with depression. But you have to understand, life is incredibly precious to God. You are His creation. You are His design. You are created with a purpose. For some people, they're just sort of laissez-faire. Everything is good. You know, nothing really affects them. I heard about a guy, and he was the guest preacher at one of those backwater Tennessee churches. We don't have those in Kentucky. Uh, but in Tennessee, they have them all over the place. And backwater Tennessee church, and the guy was a guest preacher. And I mean, he is bringing the wood one Sunday, and he gets kind of fired up. And he says, sort of in a, a passion, he says... Won't be long before everyone around here is going to be dead. Because that's how you say it in backwater Tennessee. Dead. And one guy in the back row starts to laugh. Well, the preacher gets a little, it's kind of shocking because he, he meant it to really scare people. So he, he thought, well, I'll say it again, you know, with more passion. And so he, he kind of comes at it one more time. I say it, won't be long before everyone around here is going to be dead. Guy in the back starts laughing louder. Like really chuckling. Well, this makes the guy really bad. The preacher's really mad. He points at him. He said, boy, you not hear what I said? Won't be long before everyone around here going to be dead. Guy said, I ain't from around here. <laughs> so some people kind of let uh, life roll off their back like a duck, you know, with water. And, and I get that. Some people uh, uh, just don't get unsettled. But that's not all of us. That's not everybody. Sometimes we need someone who we can lean into. It, it, listen, if you need me to talk to about these things, please do. I, I'm happy to chat with you about stuff. If you need a, a counselor, please go to a counselor. Look, your life is incredibly valuable to God. He, he, he loves you so much. And I don't want you to leave the building thinking all is lost. There's no hope. 
all isn't lost and there is hope. And, and God wants the very best for you. Something else this commandment is against is something called euthanasia. We, we know it maybe as mercy killing. Um, now, I'm not talking about the termination of treatments. I am talk about, talking about the termination of life. Some people will say to me, oh, I don't want to be on a respirator. Well, I don't want to be on a respirator either. I get that. So I'm not talking about the termination of treatment. But Scripture says life, the life of every living thing is in God's hands. It's not to be assisted in taking that life. In 2001, Holland became the first country who um, accepted, who began a physician-assisted suicide in 2001. Now, in World War II, only a mere uh, 60 or 70 years earlier, the Nazis had invaded Holland, the Netherlands, and they had asked those doctors to euthanize to allow older people and disabled people to just die, to assist them in perishing. And in the 30s and 40s, the doctors in Holland said, no, we won't do that. That is against our sacred oath to do no harm. And a, year, a mere generation later, they're now not only are they assisting suicide, and it used to be voluntary. In Switzerland, they had this. I read an article about it a couple of weeks ago where two sisters flew from America to, the, to Switzerland. Two healthy American women sisters uh, committed physician-assisted suicide. One has to wonder uh, where they are uh, mentally to do such things. We went from a generation in Holland from this being a war crime to now being something that's considered mercy. And then uh, folks who were concerned about it said, okay, well, uh, what's going to happen is people uh, are, who volunteer, uh, voluntarily say, I want to be uh, assisted in, in my death uh, will eventually become somebody saying, well, I don't want to take care of this person anymore. And that's what has borne out in Holland. Folks, who just no longer want to take care of someone because of their age or number of chromosomes, just choose to end their lives. Something else this is against is abortion. We act as if abortion is new. There's nothing new about it, honestly. It happened in the first century. There was a, a book of first century teachings. It's called the Didache. And in the Didache, it says, do not murder a child by abortion or kill a newborn infant. It happened even in the first century. What would happen oftentimes is a family would have a child. Maybe the child had a deformity or the child, a lot of times it was because the child was a girl and the family wanted boys because boys carried the name and carried the tradition and that kind of thing. And so if a family had a girl, most often it was a girl or a child with a deformity, they would take this child and simply leave it. They, they called it exposing it. They would leave it at the, t uh, the city dump. Now, one of two things happened. The child would perish or um, there would be people who would come and get those girls and... Uh, and train them into prostitution at a very young age. And then Christians came along. And Christianity says every life is precious. And Christians began to go and, uh, and save these, these infants, oftentimes little girls. And Christianity exploded because 
Christians took in little children, little babies, who nobody else wanted to care for, who were being exposed to death, and they took them in and raised them up and taught them that Jesus loves them. David may be the most compelling argument against abortion is found in Psalm 139. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is David talking about God. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that applies to you and me. I took a walk yesterday, a hike. My oldest daughter turns 27 today, and so her birthday wish was a hike. <laughs> Look at me, I'm old and fat. Uh, hiking is really not, uh, uh, those things don't go together. My knees hurt, you know, my back hurts. You, you want to know why you go on a hike with your 29-year-old daughter because she wants you to? It's because you love her. She's precious to us. If she had said, Daddy, I want to go skydiving, I'd have said no. Uh, but I, I'd have said, I think your mama will go. Uh, you know, um, we do things because we love people. When, when he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There is a plan for each of our lives. We as human beings are uniquely created in God's image. Everything else God said, when, when God was creating, He said, let there be. It's like He spoke it into existence. It's almost like God had an Alexa. Uh, you know, uh, Alexa, let there be light. Uh, and there was light, you know, or uh, like He clapped on and clapped off and there was light. It's kind of how it worked. And everything God created, He spoke into existence. Let there be uh, uh, waters, and let there be the, the earth, and let there be this, the stars of the sky. Everything is let there be. He speaks it into existence until, until the creation of humanity. And this is when He says that. He said, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And then it says this, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living, living being. We are special. I looked up the other day the, the, the most expensive paintings in the world. Uh, would you, you'll, you'll know the first one. Do you want to take a guess? What's the, what's the most expensive painting in the world? Anybody? Mona Lisa. Yeah, Mona Lisa's number one. It's worth $860 million. $860 million. Uh, the second one was also by Da Vinci. Anybody want to guess? Any of you artsy people here? I know none of us. Okay, uh, it's called Salvatore Mundi. It's a picture of Christ. This one, not worth very much, only $450 million. Now, this third one is interesting to me. It's by a, uh, an artist by the name of Jackson Pollock. The title is 17A, very creative title. 17A. There it is. Would anybody want to venture a guess as to how much number 17A by Jackson Pollock is worth? Near uh, 200 million. 200 million. This one 
Number six, Violet Green and Red by Mark Rothko. That's the fourth most expensive painting in the world. Worth a mere $186 million. Now, what makes it worth that much? I'm going to be honest. I'm not paying $186 million for this. I'm relatively certain I'm not paying $1.86 for this. I, I, don't, I don't see it. I just don't get it. I mean, that other one at least had some, it was kind of crazy. Uh, I, I get uh, Mona Lisa, I get it. I, I see that. It's like, well, <laughs> it's not my thing, but it's like, okay, I can see at least it's a person. Um, I, I don't see some of these. <laughs> a painting isn't just paint and canvas. I can paint with paint and canvas. I can go to Home Depot. I'm not Home Depot. What's the other place? Uh, Hobby Lobby. Sorry. Uh, it's always on the mind. Uh, you know, I'm always thinking Home Depot. I can go to Hobby Lobby. I can buy canvas. Not today, of course. It's Sunday. Uh, but tomorrow, I can buy canvas and some paint. I can do that. Uh, but I'm telling you the truth. If I do it, it's not worth this. $186 million. By the way, this is... Shocking to me, shocking, is that my favorite painting didn't make the top five. Uh, dogs playing poker. <laughs> Not in the top five. Uh, who knows? Here's the truth. Something is valuable because of whose fingerprints are on it. The one painting it is the it's not the, the it's not it's not the paint or the canvas or the watercolor or the pencil. It is the, the hand of the artist that gives it worth. And it's also not what I would pay for it, it's what somebody would pay for it. I love, I love uh, those pawn shows. I love them. Somebody will bring something in, you know, they'll have it in velvet. They'll bring it in. They'll lay it down like it's, you know, ta-da! And the guy behind the counter will say, well, what do you think that's worth? Well, it's a clicker. Uh, Got to be worth two or three hundred dollars. <laughs> He'll say, "Yeah, I'll give you a dollar ninety-five. You know, I, it's never worth what they think. Hardly ever. Daddy used to say when I would say, "Hey, Daddy, how much is that car worth?" And Daddy would say, "It's worth what somebody will pay for it." A value is given by whose fingerprints are on it and what somebody will pay for it. In Romans 8, it says, God demonstrated His love for all of us. For us, collectively. And while we were still sinners, while we were still canvas and paint, Christ died for us. Whenever we question our value and our worth, we have to remember Christ died for us. And then now Jesus, he takes it to a whole other level. Let me show you. Jesus said, you've heard uh, that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, oh, it gets better. It's worse. It's harder. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, come on, Jesus, uh, you are in danger. 
of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus says, it's not so much what you do, it's what you think. One of my favorite quotes is by Clarence DeRoe who said, I haven't killed anybody, but I read a whole lot of obituaries with glee. I think a lot of us understand that particular sentiment. The commandment to not murder is to proactively honor life. Jesus tells stories around this all the time. He tells this one about a good Samaritan. You all know that story. There was a guy and he was traveling from point A to point B and it was a dangerous path, a dangerous route. And on that route there was a robber. And the robber, uh, he, he mugs him and he leaves him for dead. Takes his stuff, leaves him for dead. And then as the story goes, Jesus says, hey, there's a couple of religious guys and they both sort of ignore the, the dude who might or might not be dead on the side of the road. They just ignore him. They go around him. And then there was a Samaritan. He was the guy that nobody liked, except he's the one who actually risked his life. It was risky and it was costly. He went and he attended to this guy. And not only did he attend to him on the side of the road, which was really dangerous, he took him to an inn and paid for his care. Now, the first guy, the, the guy who mugged him, he didn't honor his life because he mugged him, right? But the other two religious guys, they also broke the commandment by ignoring him. They just didn't want to have anything to do with him. That would be an imposition they simply didn't want to take. The only one in the story who honored life was the Samaritan. And it was risky and it was costly. So when Jesus says, you've heard our ancestors say you must not murder, but man, it's beyond not just physically killing somebody. It's bigger than that. You can 100% not have killed anybody and still broken this commandment. And then he goes further. Um, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I tell you, I'm, I'm going to raise the stakes. I'm going to elevate the game. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We live in a society that talks about tolerance. Tolerance is a weak virtue. It's weak. If all you do is tolerate me, if all I do is tolerate you, shame on me. Jesus doesn't say tolerate one another. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It is so far beyond tolerance, it's not even funny. So how do we live out this commandment? You must not murder. Well, first, we have to begin to see people the way God does. And second, we have to begin to treat people the way God does. On Friday, I went into Lowe's. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, I had to get some mulch. And I wore my sweatshirt that I wear often when I'm working. And it's, it's kind of red in the middle and it has sleeves that are maroon. And so uh, the people at Lowe's who work there, they wear a red vest. And so two times in about five minutes, somebody asked me where something was. Assuming I was an employee. The scary part was I knew where it was uh, both times. Oh, it's over there. I think it's, you know, so I just kind of played along. Hey, I think it's there. Uh, you know, if I told them wrong, <laughs> they're going to blame low. So what do I got to lose? Um, now, it's really interesting to me, though, they mistook who I was. 
I'm not, a, I'm not a Lowe's employee, by the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bill them for my time. Uh, I'm not a Lowe's employee. They just assumed I was. They assumed I was by the way I looked. And we do it all the time. We assume something because of the way somebody looks. That we might not like them. We might not vote like they do. We might not think like they do. Jesus, when he says love your enemies, doesn't say unless they, you know, like are Republicans or unless they're Democrats or unless they're independents or unless they uh, think differently than I do or unless they pull for a different team than I do or unless they uh, uh, don't, aren't the same color that I am. When I was a kid, I learned a song in Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. But it's not just the children that Jesus loves. So the question that we end with today is this. Am I really seeing, can I really see, will I see and treat people the way God does? Because when the Bible says you must not murder, this is what He's asking you to do. To see people and to treat people the way He sees them, the way He treats them. Let's pray. Father, to be a simple commandment, that has a lot of weight. Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to things today that maybe we haven't thought about before. Some of us haven't lived this perfectly. We aren't always kind to people the way we should be. Maybe we've done some things that we shouldn't have done. Here's what I love about you most. Is that your grace forgives all my sins. That your love is bigger than anything I've ever done. So Father, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And now as we go out this week, may we be people who look and treat people, look at and treat people the way that you look at them and the way you treat them. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.